Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. A few weeks ago, I spoke to conservation activist Katie Law on the programme about the remains of tenement buildings that are right in the middle of Central, next to the escalator. They're on Gutzlaff and Cochrane Streets. So when we went there a few weeks ago to look at these old cookhouses last time, Katie was keen to find out their story. Well, she's done some research since then, and this week she tells me about the colourful people who lived there. One of them was the Danka woman, M. Argue, who had a relationship with an American boat captain in the middle of the 19th century. When he went off to get conventionally married, he left Argue with some land. I joined Katie, the co-convener of the Central and Western Concern Group, by the escalator in Cochrane Street, to hear about the history of these tenement houses. We have found a lot of information about this site uh, in the past few months and in particular uh, we can now date the construction of the buildings there um, to 1879 um, which was after the Great Fire in Central in 1878. So what was the, so tell me a little bit more, I haven't actually had the Great Fire on Hong Kong Heritage so what, what, uh, what occurred? That that was a very big disaster at that time. The Great Fire occurred um, in the evening of Christmas, uh, 25th of December, 1878. And when it broke out at about 11 p.m., as you can imagine, people were actually celebrating Christmas and there was some kind of delay in putting out the fire. Then um, the fire spread um, from Queens Road Central across to areas that we're sitting now, Cochrane Street, um, Gay Street, and up to Hollywood Road. And uh, at the end of the fire, about 365 houses were burned down from Queens Road to Hollywood Road, from Pottinger Street um, to Stefali Street, a whole big area of Central was actually burned down to debris. So that fire actually led to the eventual redevelopment of this area in 1879. So most of the houses that were built at that time. So how did the fire start? The fire was start, um, I'm not sure if, if it is by accident or deliberate action, because eventually I think a guy was arrested for the fire. But the, the kind of damages that was done uh, to this area, and um, it has, um, you know, a, a writer called Adam Knapps uh, written a book about this uh, Great Fire of Hong Kong, and you can read all about, you know, the Great Fire in great detail. Yeah, so this is a fire that occurred on Christmas Day, 1878, and uh, but that fire leads to a new chapter in terms of buildings in Central, and that means that you can actually date this street, uh, this little alleyway with the cookhouses back to that time. Definitely, yeah. Um, the fire uh, led to the uh, eventual redevelopment of this area, and as far as the the house remains, um, we found on the Cochrane Street and Goose Love Street, we could um, very confidently date it to um, 1879 when the area was built, and also because of the very unique style and form of the tenement houses, uh, we could date it to the 19th century because it was built before the bubonic plague and before that public health and building ordinances was passed in 1903. Um, That particular kind of houses were built back to back. The tenements were stick together at the back 
without any、um, service lanes. This kind of building was quite popular at that time. The back-to-back houses, because they were、um, designed to make use of all the available building space to accommodate more people. But after the bubonic plague and after that ordinance was、uh, passed, this kind of houses were not allowed to build anymore because of hygienic reasons. So even more historic. Evidence that you can actually really pinpoint when this alleyway, when these back-to-back houses were built. So it's after the Great Fire in 1878, but it predates the Public Health Ordinance of 1903, subsequent to the devastating bubonic plague in 1894. So, I mean, in terms of these houses, I mean, when we walk along the alleyway, there, there's still people who use it as an area. The backs of restaurants use it. They've got a few shelves there with cooking implements, etc. And and it's、uh, rather nice to walk and adjacent to the modernity of the escalator to see these、um, historic walls. And that's what remains is these part walls.、Uh, to now,、um, what's your view? I mean, when you've got ruins as such, I mean, I know we there's where I come from in England. There's plenty of his,、um, castle ruins, but I mean, what is the historic value of a part wall? These ruins are so important because. They have stood, you know, the test of time, of over 130 years、um, since it was first built, and、um, I'm particularly touched, you know, by by the history that we can see in it. You know? Yeah, let's get on to some of the individuals who've been involved in in this area. Now, the the actual lane itself with these historic walls,、um, and and、um, we're looking at the plot now from the escalator, and you can see these historic walls. But、uh, it's owned currently by the government, and it could end up. Uh, under the Urban Renewal Authority. So, in terms of what now happens to the walls, we're going to have to wait and see. Obviously, Katie, you would like to see the, these walls remain as they are for education purposes. But、um, in terms of going back to the 19th century, who would have owned these houses? Have you been able to find out? Oh yeah, we found a lot of information from land searches.、Um, you know, the ownership of this site. Was really interesting. In about 1847, this lot was sold to a gentleman called Douglas Lepreg, who was very important at that time.、Um, he was the owner of a, a steamship company called、uh, Douglas Lepreg and Company, and he built a lot of、um, steamships and、uh, he also、uh, built wharfs. And he is also he was also the owner of Douglas Castle, which you would know that is now still standing in Park Fulham and as the University Hall of、um, University of Hong Kong. And、uh, he was an important guy and a, a big investor in、uh, properties in Central. So、um, he was one of the early owners of this land. So Douglas Lepreg is one of these early owners. So quite as you say, a prominent person in Hong Kong's history. In terms of the other owners、uh, of the houses, can you tell me about them? Yeah, this site was divided into two sections: inland lot 104A and inland lot 104 remaining portion. In 1847, Douglas Lepreg sold inland lot. 104A to James Bridges Endicott, who was an American captain. But it's interesting to see that in 1852, Endicott gave this、um, plot of land to a Chinese lady called Ng Ah Gil. 
So, what's the story behind this gift of land to Ngakil? So, thanks to the research by Carl Smith, a very important local historian, we knew um, Ngakil was in fact um, a protected woman, a very special kind, of, a, a group of women at that time in Hong Kong who had had relationship with um, Westerners. So, in fact, Ngakil was the protected woman of Endicott. So the story goes as because Endicott um, had to get married with an English lady. So before the marriage, he gave this plot of land to Ngakil, you know, as a gift. Carl Smith, in his book *A Sense of History: Studies in the Social and Urban History of Hong Kong*, describes how Captain Endicott decided to terminate his relationship with Ng Argu and enter into a more conventional domestic arrangement. Through connections in England, he arranged for Miss Anne Russell to come out from London as a mail-order bride. They were married in Macau on the 19th of October, 1852. On putting aside Ng Argu, Endicott assumed the responsibility of securing her future. On the day before his marriage to Miss Russell, he executed a Deed of trust, which conferred on Un Argu Spinster, a Chinese female living in Macau, and Guardian of Achao, a Chinese infant of ten years or thereabouts, Section A of Inland Lot 104 in Hong Kong. Under the same date, he executed another trust for Argu alone on Inland Lot 71 on Queens Road West. He named as trustees two merchants who were also protectors of Chinese women. Douglas Lepreke was named as trustee of Captain Endicott's interest, and William Scott of Ung Argus. And Magil herself、um, was a very, very interesting and you know legendary、um, character.、Um, not only、uh, she was a protected woman, but she was also、um, involved, you know, in trades like opium. And also,、um, he was a very independent、uh, character. Who eventually became the leader of other protected women in this area,、um, engaging in、um, investment in properties, etc. So、um, she was so legendary that eventually that street where she lived, and actually the plot of land that we are looking at now in Guslav Street, and、um, Guslav Street was also called、um, Hong Mogil Gai. Which is the nickname of Argue? So yes, it means red hair, Argue. But that's not because she had red hair. No, no, not because she has red hair, but、um, because of her association uh, with uh, foreigners. And interestingly,、um, well, I heard of this name Hong Mo Gil Gai many times before, and、uh, I think generally, according to all the, you know. Other information when they、uh, dis- discuss the origin of this name, people made a mistake of、um, thinking that Hong Mo Gil meaning、um, the Western prostitutes. But because of this research and because of the research of Carl Smith, we discovered that Hong Mo Gil was in fact not any Western prostitute, but a Chinese lady, you know, who was the, a protected woman, and Ngakil.、Uh, You know, a definite you know personality in the story. I'm talking to Katie Law, co-convener of the Central and Western Concern Group. We're here just off the escalator at Cochrane Street, looking at an alleyway that also leads off Wellington Street and is the walls 
of old cookhouses dating back to the late 19th century and uh, as Katie is outlining is a, a really colourful personal history um, associated with this land. Um, now in terms of, so we were talking about Margu who was this protected woman and as you cited the Reverend Carl Smith, the Carl Smith collection which is uh, at the University of Hong Kong, he was, he always had these um, drawers and drawers of index cards where he collected so much information on and, and on thousands of early residents of Hong Kong, and uh, which has uh, provided the foundation for some of your research. Um, now, Margu, she was involved in she uh, with other protected women. She also became quite a property owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she became uh, a property, big property owner and quite rich at the time. But uh, eventually, probably because of over-investment, she went bankrupt in 1878, some months before the Great Fire. But she continued to live in uh, Guslav Street for many years. And um, as we have um, looked through all the rates and valuation books, there, there are records of... Uh, Nagil or her daughter's um, occupation of this uh, site. So outline for me the, the actual plot that we're looking at Margu's um, property would have been adjacent to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, she lived in Guslav Street number 2 to 10. Um, some of the houses uh, of that uh, area. So probably is number 8 to 10. Even before the fire, she already had that site from Endicott from 1852. So um, we don't know what you know about the buildings uh, before the fire, but what we are seeing now is um, buildings from 1879, which was owned by Magill and occupied by Magill. So she had a daughter. Yeah, yeah. And that would have been Endicott's daughter. Well, we don't know. Um, from the race and valuation book, uh, her name was Fong Agao, Fong Gao. Yeah, so um, why she adopted that name? Because after uh, Margil was separated from Endicott, um, she had, you know, um, met another guy, a Chinese guy called Feng Ating. And uh, it's likely that um, her daughter um, will follow that surname, Feng. Uh-huh. So... We've described how uh, James Bridges Endicott was an American sea captain, so he was yeah. involved in boats in the South China Sea, and that's how he would have first met Margu. And yeah. what trade was she involved in at that time? Yeah, um, she was um, transporting opium, as far as we know, and there were some fascinating stories about a girl's um, opium being um, taken by pirates. Um, at one point and uh, Nagyu was so brave that she actually managed to go and find the pirates to negotiate for, for her um, opium to be returned and this really shows that Nagyu was a very you know, independent and courageous woman because she had no fear of pirates and she actually went on her own to confront the pirates a really colourful story yeah 
So Margu is this protected woman later of Captain Endicott, uh, as you say, fiercely independent. But later on, she um, goes from opium into property. She goes bankrupt in 1878. But um, in terms of, she also got together with other protected women. Yeah, yeah. Um, according to Cal Smith, there were a lot of um, protected women um, who lived in this area of Central. Um, Cal Smith called this an in-between area. An area which was um, neither totally Chinese nor totally Western, so it's a mix of um, Chinese and Westerners living in this area, including Europeans, um, Indians, Parsis, Macanese, and also, um, of course, Chinese and some prostitutes and protected women. All lived in this area of a very, you know, um, cosmopolitan nature. So that's um, Cal Smith's um, research and interpretation. And we actually found a map um, in one of Cal Smith's book, actually plotting, you know, the various, um, you know, ethnic background of the people who lived in this area. That's how, you know, extensive and in detail of Cal Smith's research, he actually found different people from different ethnic groups living in this area. So the protected women also liked to live in this area because they found the cosmopolitan nature really suits them. And now, how does it? I mean, is it, protected women is a, is a good euphemism, but that that is really may, means Endicott's mistress. Not just Endicott's, but um, women that were associated um, with foreigners at that time. Yeah. So um, they are so-called under the protection of foreigners. But in a way, they have to live daily in and out of this area, which is easier also for their protectors to visit them. You know, because that kind of relationship is not somehow morally acceptable at that time. Chinese ladies have the special relationship, but not marriage to these foreigners. That's why they became a very unique group of um, women who, who were called, you know, protected women at that time. In 1875, Ng argue again figures in an interesting newspaper account, writes Carl Smith. She is described as a stout Chinese woman known by the name of Hung Mo Gu, or Redhead Argue. She was in keeping of a foreigner before and had borne him three sons and two daughters. The case involved a young Australian, aged about 20, named Philip Davies, who passed himself off as a son of Argue and had incurred some debts with a tailor but he'd also tried to con-argue a few years previously. The testimony in the case stated that Argue's foreign protector had taken away two sons and a daughter when they were quite young. She was left with one son and one daughter. Two of her sons were in Manila and the other, Achun or Henry, was in Shanghai. When Davies appeared at her house claiming to be her son Henry, she was unable to identify him as she had not seen her son for more than two decades. For three nights, Davies visited Argue and enjoyed her hospitality in the form of a Chinese banquet. But then a foreigner called at her house and told her that Davies was not her son as he had recently seen her real son in Shanghai. With the exposure, the free meals for Davies came to an abrupt end. I always feel somewhat sorry for the Eurasian children who resulted from these relationships. Well, um, yes, um, the Eurasian children from that um, resulting from that kind of relationship, um, they were being discriminated somehow. But it's also uh, because of that, um, their mothers will spend a lot of effort to make sure that they receive good education. And eventually, many of these Eurasian children have very good status in Hong Kong, like Ho Tung, for example. 
Yes, so now, Hotung, Robert Hotung and his brother Ho Gam Tong, they both also had a connection to this street. Yes, yes. Um, in 1900, um, Ho Tung bought part of this site the five houses facing Cochrane Street. And in 1916, Ho Kong Tong buy the other half of this site, the houses facing um, uh, Guslaw Street. So it's really interesting, just this plot of land can show, you know, the different on the changing ownership from, you know, the Westerners who used to, you know, um, dominate, you know, land ownership in the early days and eventually Chinese merchants. Yeah, so, I mean, Robert Ho-Tung, he was uh, an early comprador, so this the, the sort of, well, um, to say it in very simple terms, a sort of translator, financial translator, who would um, be the, the connection between... Chinese businessmen and also uh, the British, often the British government, and they would do very well out of this middleman aspect. Would uh, they, they would get very rich on it? Yeah, I heard that Ho Tung actually lived and worked in this area of the Graham Street Market um, before he became very rich and moved to the mid levels. So I'm sure he has a very fond you know, relationship with this area as well. So that's explain why he bought land here. Not only maybe because of investment and because of his relationship with this area. Now, Umma Gu, she, she uh, actually lived to a ripe old age. Yes, according to um, Cal Smith research, um, probably she lived up to 1914. And after she passed away, um, and because of this piece of land was in a trust, um, it returned to the Endicott family in New York. And eventually, uh, it was sold to Hogam Tong. Now, it becomes government land in the 1960s, which is how it stands today. We're looking at the plot, which is possibly going to be passed over to the Urban Renewal Authority. You've been in touch with the Antiquities and Monuments Office and also the Antiquities Advisory Board. You've actually found out far more information on, on the story of these people who were connected to this plot. How would you like to see, what, what would you like to see happen with this plot? And of course, um, since we have found so much information about it and can really confirm um, the significance of this site, um, not only as the you know, only remaining back-to-back tenement houses remains, but also with such a colourful history um, of ownership, etc. And we would like to see this um, site preserved in situ, and uh, which can actually show the development of Central in the physical form. The back-to-back houses built before the bubonic plate and um, it shows the public health um, development of this area. And the colourful history of this site actually shows how Central developed as a very cosmopolitan um, area of Hong Kong. But I think also, um, I, I think it has great uh, potential for a bit of street theatre about some of these people who lived here. Definitely, because um, we found these very, very fascinating characters of Douglas Leprey, Anticon, and especially Ngakyu, which, you know, her name being become the name of the street. And I'm sure... Um, you know, young people and you know, local people would be very interested to know more about the history of this area.
if we are not talking about it anymore, people will eventually forget about this history. So, uh, you know, some kind of um, creative writing or drama or performance will be really good to uh, bring this history alive. Now, also, um, there, there are no known photos or illustrations of um, argue. Yeah, we haven't found any yet. Uh, we would love to, but um, it really adds to our imagination of how Magyu looked like. And we are now, you know, um, searching for more information, searching for her photos. And uh, we have actually, we're going to set up a, a Facebook page called uh, Searching for Hong Mogyu. <laughs> so that, um, you know, members of the public can actually contribute to this research. I'm sure... Um, if we are, you know, putting more efforts to find more information, we can get a lot more. Now, you also have an idea for how people could dress up as um, argue. Yes, um, because of uh, such a colourful character of Maggie, we hope to invite um, young people, especially, to um, get involved in research and maybe dressing up. So cosplay. Yes. <laughs> what fun. Yes, it will be. And especially in Cochrane Street here, we have a, an open space. And I think it, this will be a perfect site for, you know, street theatre and performance and of storytelling, you know, where um, our storytellers can help to talk about the, the history and story of this area and maybe every week. You know, every Saturdays and Sunday we have storytelling sessions so that more people will know about the history. What a lovely idea, yeah. So, I mean, when we're looking at those walls, what are we actually looking at there? We are looking at the basement uh, of the Cochrane Street houses and we are also looking at the cookhouses of the Guslav Street houses. And because there is a, a level difference between Cochrane Street and Guslav Street, so at the lower level of Guslav Street, we can see the basement of Cochrane Street houses. But we can also see the ground level cookhouse of the Guslav houses. So um, there are at least three of the cookhouse sections remains and there are some maybe behind of some of the uh, hoard hoarding boards uh, that are now um, hiding those from view. But um, likely we are looking at, in fact, a site of 10 houses that existed here um, from 1879 until the 1960s and 70s. So if you were going to dress as um, argue, what would you wear? When Nagyu was around, um, it was Qing Dynasty, and she was a boat woman. So a tanker? Yes, a tanker. And um, I must do a bit of research, <laughs> but I, I have in mind, you know, what I'm going to wear. So I hope, you know, more people can get involved because it's really something not only related to our history, but, you know, it's also for your imagination and creativity, yeah. Now it's, um, just to say, it's not just you involved in this history research. Yeah, we have a, a small team of researchers and uh, we are also advised by uh, historians uh, such as Tim Cole, um, who was uh, a former AAB member as well. So um, we have um, actually sent a lot of um, 
requests to the Antiquities and Monument Office as well as to the Antiquities Advisory Board for them to really look into this site and to do um, you know, a proper research. And of course, I'm sure um, what we have done could add to you know, the research about this site. And um, we need to get this um, acknowledgement as well of the significance by having this site going through the grading process. We hope that this site could be graded and we think it could um, get a very high grade um, because of its significance. So Magu lived until she was about 90, so in 1914. After her death, the property that she owned reverted to the Endicott family. When did it become government land? Well, the houses stood until the 1960s and 70s and they eventually became unsafe and had to be demolished so um, but afterwards there are some development but the site became government land in the 1980s when the government prepared to um, build the mid-levels escalator so right now it is being fenced off as a piece of government land my thanks to katie law of the central and western concern group talking there on the tanker, protected woman, mm, argue. My thanks to RTHK's Todd Harding for the excerpts from Carl Smith. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>